that's what we're talking about. We got a lot of folks that don't have genuine faith, right? For whatever reason. Maybe they grew up in uh, bad teaching. Maybe they just had an emotional moment, but they really didn't surrender their life to Christ. Maybe they went up sometime because everybody else went up. Who knows? But real faith will come alive in us and will produce fruit. It will cause us to be, it will manifest itself. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, this is a powerful line here. He says, uh, I will show you my faith by my works. Look how, how elementary he puts this. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe. Right? So, I have said this. And I, somebody said, well, I believe. And I'm like, well, so does the devil. The devil believes more than most people. He's the one that they grabbed by the seat of his robe and tossed him out of heaven. He knows who God is. Clearly. He understands who God is. He don't serve the Lord. He turned on God. But he knows who God is. So just knowing up here is not good enough. You cannot just have a mental recognition of who God is. You got to bring him into your heart. You got to believe. And you got to accept him as your Lord and Savior and follow him. That's what this is about. Surrendering our lives to him. So that now the Holy Spirit can work through us. And that's where we get the manifestations of these things going on in our lives. That our faith will be proved out because you did not send that person away naked. You went in your closet and you got them a coat. Or you went in your food pantry and you brought them some food or you handed them. I, I, we are blessed with so many wonderful Christians in this body. I'm about to cry thinking about it of people. And a lot of y'all don't get to see this. I understand that because we're supposed to do things in secret. But because of my position, I get to see it more than most of y'all. People just coming to me and saying, get this to that person. Get this to that person. Make sure this happens. And it's amazing that what this body does. Now, I'm going to say this because he's dead and gone on, but my grandfather was that way. He paid his tithes and he couldn't not because his grandson was the preacher. <laughs> but he, he paid his tithes. But my grandfather had a burden for people Paying their electric bills. Kenny's brother. He, had, he, he have always come up to me and say, get this to that family. Make sure their electric bill gets paid. Stuff that meant something to somebody. Had another guy in the church that said, so-and-so's cars, their tires is wore out. Make sure they get new tires on their car. Stuff that's important, you know. To people. And, and we got people like that even in this church. They know sometimes they're single parents and stuff, and they're saying, hey, make sure this happens. Make sure they. I love that. That's faith at work, right? And, and, and we got a body like that. You, we're blessed for that because a lot of people in this body live their Christianity, they don't just come to church. And that's proven more and more. You saw all the boxes we were able to send to the poorest county in the United States the last two weeks. You've seen how we've been able to pour money into Israel and not, and not actually, we've poured more money into our other missionaries too. We, we've not skimped on anything because God, God is faithful. I'm talking to a group of people, and I think just about everybody in this building probably already knows this, but you, ain't, you and I ain't never going to outgive God. 
It just ain't going to happen. You're never going to outgive him. We're so far in the hole to start because he took all of our sins to that cross and hung on that cross and covered. We're so far in the hole, we'll never catch up. But you're, you're never going to outgive the Lord. And so it's a beautiful thing to see Christianity just coming out of people. And so many of you all that do things in secret, you know, like the Bible teaches. You do your stuff in secret, you'll be rewarded openly. And we, we know the Scripture really works, don't it? It really does work. And so uh, God is faithful. And our message is going out from here. I got up at 5 this morning and got back at 5 this evening because I did a funeral way up in Virginia of some people who watch us every week and mail their tithes in here because they're disabled and they cannot get out to a local church and they watch us and I, I did a funeral for that family today God, this message is going out and what we're doing here is working because God's ordaining us to be sacrificial the Bible tells us we're supposed to put others before we put for ourselves we're supposed to care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff that's how the Bible teaches us to bear one another's burdens, right? That's Christianity. That's what he's talking about here. If your faith is real, it will come out in that kind of stuff. We don't need another good church service. We need some Christians that live their faith. That's what we need. We had a, a segment of time where people run around looking for good church services. Well, I'm thankful for good church services, but we need people that when they hit the ground out there, that they live what they, they know to live. I had an old saint years ago. She said, her dad was a preacher, and he said, he told the people, he said, I don't, he said, I don't care how high you jump when you jump in here. He said, just make sure your feet walk straight when you hit the ground. And go out there and live your life. Live that life uh, for the Lord. Be, be a real Christian. Go out there and do your works behind the scenes and watch God just raise you up openly. That's how, this, that's how it's set up. That's how it's designed. So you run across that person says, well, I believe in God. Just say, well, so does the devil. That's not good company. Let's get beyond that, right? He says, you believe there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe. And tremble. That's where the world needs to get back to, right? The world needs to get back to trembling. I saw that little video where the guy was standing in front of the Turkish parliament and was giving Israel down the road and said, uh, they'll face the wrath of Allah. And he fell over right there with a heart attack. As soon as he said that, he went, bam, hit the ground. Allah's not God. And that, <laughs> I think God just keeps proving who the real God is. You bless Abraham, you get blessed. You curse Abraham, you get cursed. There's only one real God, and guess who knows it better than most of the world? The devil. The devil knows who's God, and the demons knows who God, and most of the world don't. That's what's sad. He said, for the demons believe and tremble, but, you, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? That's a strong word. So basically what the Holy Spirit's saying to us is if our faith is real, it will produce fruit or results. It will show by, by how we live our lives. And God will testify through us of how we live our lives. 
And he says, uh, was not Abraham? So he basically, I mean, you can't talk any plainer than that. He says, uh, oh foolish man, faith without works is dead. And how many people do we know that don't attend the house of God or don't have anything to do with the work of God and all? But, but if you ask them, I believe. I believe. And they're in no better company than the devil and the demons unless their faith is actually producing fruit or action in their life. Now, let me take you back to this because uh, this, you all have heard me say this many times. This is the word in the New Testament that undergirds all faith and believing. It is pisteo. That's the Greek word. We get pistis is the noun form. This is the verb form of pistis, pisteo. That's, that word undergirds all of believing and faith in the New Testament. It's a borrowed word, but I like to use it because it's faithing. You're faithing. Because true faith has what? Action. Verbs do what? Show action. So it's beautiful to me that the, whole, the word that undergirds all faith and believing in the New Testament is a verb. Same thing in the Old Testament. I won't take time to write them out, but hasa and batak are the two words in the Old Testament that undergird all faith and believing. They are verbs. One means to lean on the staff. The other means to run to the shelter. So they're verbs. They re, they, verbs require action. And basically, that's what the Holy Spirit's saying here. Your faith requires action. If you have true faith, you'll have action. You won't just have a mental understanding of who God is. It will change your life when you actually are living in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? <clears throat> now, if God has asked you to do something, you need to do it. Think about that. The next time God asks you to do something and you're tempted not to do it, think about Abraham. Think about him taking his son out there. And actually, he was going to sacrifice him. God had to stop him. But that's another thing we need to learn a lesson about. that We need to continually hear from God. What if Abraham had only heard God one time? What if you hadn't heard him the second time? Keep listening to God as you walk your path. He's got, he's got a lot to say to all of us. And he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? So it's the same principle of having offspring. Have to have the husband and wife to have the completeness in order to produce a child. And so if we're going to have what God wants us to have, faith and works join together to produce that fruit. And he, then he goes on to say, he says, and works, uh, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
but then he followed through with what he was asked to do, right? Here's the litmus test for whether you love God or not. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Quit trying to get on a church roll or, or dress a certain way or sing a certain song or, or get in a certain crowd. If you want to know if you love God, that's how you find out. If you'll obey Him. If you're willing to obey Him. Because God, when we get born again and we'll take our faith comes alive in us, we're, ask, we're laying our lives down at that point. That's the beginning of that. I understand that's a journey and we all are on that journey. But that's where we surrender and say we belong to you now. And we're going to allow you to begin to call the shots for our lives. And, and he says, it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The reason is because faith without that manifestation of obedience is dead. So that's what happens, right? That's where people get it. If I could take you back to the parable of the sower, that word was sown on four different places, but only one of them saw it through with fruit. The others had all kinds of things coming at them, right? Immediately, the first group, he said, the, word, the devil came and stole that word from them immediately. When you read your Bible or when you sit under somebody that's given you the word of the Lord, you need to receive it. And don't let the devil steal it from you. Because that's the first thing he wants to do. He wants to steal the word from you. And then some was thrown on another thing and cares of this life choked it out of them. They got too busy to obey, to receive it. And then another group, they got persecuted. I think that was between the cares of this life. They got persecuted and they didn't want to stand for it. All those things are peeling people out, right? I mean, they get that, that word comes out and then you got this crowd that's saying, ah, and then all of a sudden they leave to get focused on something else. The devil steals it. Then you got that next crowd that says, ah, I got a little pushback from my family or somebody, and I don't want to get committed if it's going to cost me a relationship or two. And then you got that next crowd, oh, they stuck for a little while, and then other things became more important to them, and they kind of drifted away. And then you got those last people said, we're in. I think true Christianity finds itself right here, where people say, I'm staying no matter what. I'm sticking with God no matter what. And nowhere would you see that any clearer than the last book we studied, or the book where we studied one in between for one night, but Job. Next time you feel sorry for yourself or you think you want to quit or give up, you ought to think about Job. That guy stuck it out. And I, I've said this a few times lately, but as I get older, my... One of my, maybe my favorite guys, Noah. Most of us, because we're raised with drive throughs and microwaves, we don't want to wait on nothing. What do you mean it's going to take two minutes and 20 seconds to get my hamburger out? And it took you 30 minutes to do it at home, but waiting two minutes and 20 seconds in a drive through, we get apoplectic. Think about this. Think about a guy who waits a hundred some years on God. 
And all the persecution and all the ridicule he's getting. Job, everybody misunderstood him. What would separate you? Paul said, nothing. None of that can separate us from the love of God. And then he says, then he brings up an interesting character, right? Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Remember what happened with her? She's in Jericho and God's getting ready to give the Israelites Jericho. And she's the one that says, we heard about your God. We know what he's destroying other nations. And you know what she did? As a, mean, as a picture of salvation, the Bible says she hung a scarlet thread in that one window representing the blood of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. She done that by faith. She didn't have no guarantee that they would remember her. She didn't have no guarantee that they'd even keep their word. These people never even met before. But by faith, she hung that scarlet thread saying, my house is going to get saved because I believed. That's got to be us, right? And, and our faith is the greatest thing going. There's nothing more important in our lives, in our children's lives, in our grandchildren's lives, nothing more important than our faith, our walk of faith. Nothing in your life is as important as that. Nothing. Not your job, not your circles, not your money, not your retirement. Nothing is as important as your life of faith. That's the most important thing going on in any of our lives. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look at verse 26, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So how important is faith? Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. He's talking about real faith and what it happens if that faith is real, right? And then... What do we learn about faith? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain. I'm going to show you something here. This I think it'll, if it's not already come to life in you, what's going on there, it's going to. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made with things which are visible. That's what faith does for us. Now the world thinks we're weird, but I think they're weird. You want me to believe that some amoeba crawled out of a piece of wa uh, some water somewhere and a wart turned into an eye? I think they're weird. But we know the truth. Because Jesus come out of that grave and confirmed everything in this Bible. And he said, Moses wrote about creation. And when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus, rich man said, send somebody back, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers so they don't come to this place, this hell where I'm at. And Jesus said, they have Moses and the prophets. Do you realize what Jesus did by saying that? He confirmed, he confirmed everything Moses wrote. Because he said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them... They won't believe one, though he comes from the dead. And that's exactly what's wrong with the world. 
Jesus has come from the dead and they still don't believe. He said if they don't believe Moses and the prophets. Jesus said that while he was on earth. Confirming everything that Moses wrote. And the prophets. He didn't correct it. He confirmed it. And so he says, so that the things which are seen are not made, the things that are visible. By faith, notice how faith and works are connected here in this chapter. This chapter has been labeled the Hall of Fame of Faith because these guys, none of them perfect, but all of them believed and kept moving toward God. By faith, Abel offered, so that's action, right? To God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see God and was not found because God had taken him. And before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So he was honoring God and obeying God. But without faith, it is impossible. So this is, this is, you can see now why I send people to James immediately. You've got to understand what faith's about. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to understand what it's about. And you've got to understand that real faith will produce fruit and come out of you. It will have action with it. The New Testament is filled with that. And he says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I preached on that particular line there a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And this word rewarder is an accounting term. And it's in the Greek and it means payer of wages. In other words, God will pay wages to those who diligently seek him. All right? Believe that he's who he said he was. So when you come for prayer, the first thing you need to have settled is, I know who you are. I know you can heal the sick and raise the dead. I know you bore stripes. I know it. Settle that. You know who he is. And then the next thing we need to exercise, he says, believe that he is and he's your rewarder and believe that his word will be accomplished, right? He's a payer of wages. Now, the, the reason that accounting term, monetary terms used there is to stretch it. We all understand what that means, right? You, you get paid wages, we understand. It doesn't mean God will always give you money. In fact, I would say this. If one of your children or grandchildren gets saved, you can't put a price tag on that. Right? We'll take that over money any day of the week. But it's used that way to stress so we can all... Take it in, understand. And then if you remember a few couple of months ago, I preached on this where it says those who diligently seek him. And that word diligently doesn't mean somebody who's 24 hours a day in front of God and don't, don't do anything but just talk to God all day. That word actually is, it would be defined as somebody who don't neglect God. Now think about it. None of us can pray 24 hours a day. We got to sleep. We got jobs. We got family. God wants you to have your family. He's the one told us to be fruitful and multiply. He's all in with that. And God's not trying to monopolize your time to where you don't do nothing but just sit in front of God for 24 hours a day. And you better not fall asleep either. That's not who God is. What God's trying to say there is, I don't want to be neglected. Now let's be real for a minute. We've all fell into that, haven't we? There have been seasons in our lives where we've neglected God. Let's don't do that. Tell your neighbor, say, don't do that. 
And now it's high time. Remember what I preached? It's high time to wake out of sleep. It's our time. You get the newsletter, it's high time to get out of that sleep. Right now is when we do not need to be neglecting God at all. We are so close to the finish line. We do not need to be neglecting Him. So God's basically saying, it's impossible to please me without faith. He's a rewarder of those. And that, what kind of faith? Let me read a few more of these guys. By faith, knowing being divinely warned, yet uh, things not seen, moved with godly fear. What do you do? Prepared an ark. He had action. Work. See what James is saying? His faith came out in his obedience to do the task that God gave him to do. That's what James is trying to illustrate. Not taking anything away from what Paul's teaching in Ephesians. But you see what's happening here. If your faith's real, it ha it's a verb. It has action. It has activity. And so then he says, he says, uh, he prepared an ark saving of his household by which he condemned the world, became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. That's mind-boggling to me that, you know, there was probably a guesstimate, a few, several million people on the world, in the world at that time. Eight of them? Eight of them's all that got on that boat? That's staggering to think about. But you know what Jesus said in Luke 18 and 8? Now hear this. He said, when I return, will I find faith? I like what the guy in Chicago's doing. He's, he's promoting the rapture. He's a very popular preacher. Have y'all seen him on his little commercial on TV? He's promoting the rapture. Everybody, everybody, we all hear him on the radio. I can't think of his name. But I like what he's doing, but I think he's overstating it. He said, when the rapture takes place, billions will go. I don't think that's true. I don't think billions will go. Because we only have 8 billion people here. And if, if there's any statistic that's worth anything, we might have, I think a high number would be 20% people that are really committed to following Christ. But whatever, I don't know that billions are be going, but the rapture's coming. He said, few are going to heaven and many are going to destruction. And then he says, uh, for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world... Eight of those got on. Look at the next one. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Now Abraham is the father of faith. He's labeled as the father of faith. And the reason why is because every time God handed him off a commandment, he tried to do it. He walked it out. Work, faith, fruit. He, 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 when God handed him off something, he did it. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of this place he would receive an inheritance. He went out and he's called the father of faith for all of us. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land. But he started moving. You see he had action. He's, he's our role model. When God spoke he moved. Notice what those guys did when Jesus came by and they were mending their nets. Dropped them. They moved. When Jesus said come follow me they walked out and did it. Matthew. Levi at the tax table working for the IRS. He was probably glad to get out of there. <laughs> he, Jesus come by and said, follow me. Got up immediately. Well, here's what I think happens to a lot of Christians. The Lord speak. We put it off. He said, go over and talk to your neighbor. They're ready today. And I'm tired. I'm going to stay here and watch Sanford and Son. <laughs> I'll go over there tomorrow. <laughs> Be careful of that. Right? Then he says, uh, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, a foreign country, dwelt in tents, Isaac and Jacob with heirs with him with the promise. He waited for the city which was foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Look at this. By faith Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. 
She bore a child, was past age. She judged him faithful, who had promised, so they hung in there. Therefore, from one man as good as dead, there was born many of the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable in the sand which is on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Is that how we feel? You trying to make your world here, or are you just passing through? That's a, whole, that's a whole mindset. What are you living for? What am I living for? Are we living to hand off our faith to other people? Or are we living to give them stuff? Then he says, I like that one guy said, he said he had a t-shirt on, he's an older gentleman, he's in his 80s, he said, I'm spending my grandchildren's inheritance. Uh, he says, these all died in faith, not having received this promise, for they say such things, declare plainly they seek a homeland. And truly, if they'd called to mind the country in which they come out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. But they desire something better, right? That's heavenly country. Therefore, God's not ashamed of them. God's not ashamed of the people that live like pilgrims down here. John Wesley's house was on fire one day. And they said, hey, your house is on fire. And he said, that's not my house. That it belongs to the Lord. He didn't panic. He's, he's an extraordinary fellow. One of those Wesley guys, I believe it was John. They said that every year, whatever he had at the end of the year, he gave it all away and started from scratch every year. Because he didn't want anything to interfere with his faith. Now, I'm not saying God's calling everybody to do that. But that is some powerful stuff there. People that are just pilgrims. That's not my house. That belongs to God. There's some level of recognition there, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from where? God. You got a good wife? You, who you got to thank for that? God. You got some stuff in this life? Who you got to thank for that? God. We have salvation and eternal life. We certainly know who we got to thank for that. God. Look at these other guys and I'll close. He says, uh, verse 23... By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you realize what Moses walked out on there to obey God? He was probably going to be Pharaoh someday. Walked out on Rolls Royce chariots. Walked out on servants. Walked out and have not really do nothing for himself except have fun to obey God. You know, I know we all make sacrifices. My wife and I, we've made some sacrifices being in the ministry. I, well, I understand that. But Matt, some of these guys, they really made some sacrifices. And I think the modern culture, we want people to just laud all over us and pat us on the back because we gave our soda pop away. Some of these people walked out on everything to obey God. And he said, uh, by faith Moses became refused. And then in verse uh, 27 it says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but endured. And here's the key, right? Seeing, seeing him who is invisible. If you're going to be successful with your spiritual journey, you've got to see him who's invisible. Now, that's a 
you know, a paradox, right? Seeing something that's invisible. But it's like the other things. The deepest truths of God's word are paradoxical, right? If you want to live, you must. If you want to receive, you must. That's just the opposite way the natural man thinks, right? You're seeing what? <laughs> That's how the world would say. You're seeing what? What are you seeing? That's why the prophet said, Lord, open this guy's eyes and let him see. And he said, there they are, the angels on fiery chariots all around. There's a spiritual realm, and I'll close with this. There's a spiritual realm that we need not forget. When Jacob was afraid and he was waiting on Esau, he saw a ladder. Remember that? He saw that ladder. And on that ladder that went to heaven, he saw angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And he realized at that moment he wasn't alone. He, he, he thought it was going to be him against the world. Him against his brother Esau and their big band. And Esau hated him at that time. All this trouble going through his mind. But God said, let me show you what's going on here. And he named that place Maenaim. Maenaim means two hosts. Jacob had his eyes open to the fact that he wasn't alone. And when they, you know, Jesus told us, his followers, he told them plainly, he said, when I get ready to go, you all are going to disperse. You're going to run for the shelter. You're going to all forsake me. But he said, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know what Jacob saw? That ladder was Jesus. Our connection from earth to heaven is the Lord. And angels minister to those who are heirs of salvation through Jesus. And that's why when David was in trouble, the Bible said, I feel the Holy Spirit here. The Bible said he went to Maenam. You know why he went to Maenam? To remind himself that the angels encamp around those who fear the Lord. That's what the prophet said. He said, open my... Oh, he's afraid, Lord. Show him what's going on. And those fiery chariots. All, I'm telling you, God is with us. And what did Paul say or the Holy Spirit say? If God is for us, who can be against? It doesn't mean that you won't have opposition. It just means the opposition is futile. That's why I've been preaching some about Israel. All of these nations from this last little incident with this Turkish parliament. You start fighting against God and you will lose. That's why Gamaliel, even though he didn't understand the Messiah was, he told him, he said, you better leave those boys alone. When he's talking about Peter and them, he said, you better leave those guys alone. He said, because if they're not of God, they ain't going nowhere, no how. I'm putting this in no country boy's words. But if they're of God, he said, we'll find ourselves fighting against God. At least he was smart enough to wait it out. And that's, that's we're on God's side. Are you on God's side? I am. And that's why I say, I don't say this arrogantly, but I say it like Paul. If you can follow me because I'm going to follow him. I'm sticking with him. And there ain't nothing in this life worth me walking out on him for. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You will have trouble, but you 
have the Nike. Remember that word? You have the victory in Jesus Christ. He has already won the victory. Can I tell you one more thing before I let you go? When I was in college, I was a freshman. And I had an ulcer. I, had, I, got, I developed an ulcer. I was 20 years old. I was playing basketball. I had an ulcer. And so the, the training staff sent me to, uh, to the hospital to, to get that test. You drink that old chalk and they see you got an ulcer. And so they sent me. And so I, the doctor come back and he looked at me. And he said, You're, you play basketball, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, you're an athlete, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, what are you, he, he confirmed, he said, you got an ulcer the size of a dime. He said, what in the world are you doing with an ulcer at 20 years old? I just looked at him and I said, never mind. Because that was when I was running from God. Remember I told you, when God called me to preach, I didn't tell him I wouldn't preach. I just said, I'll preach later. And I developed an ulcer. You don't do well if you run from God. I'll just tell you that. Broke my foot twice my freshman year because I was running from God. So I went back and I just I was, had my foot broke right after that. And I was still running from God. And that night I was out after curfew. Of course, I couldn't practice. And I didn't think it was that big a deal if I was out after curfew. But the coaches didn't feel that way. So one of the coaches spotted me walking through town. And I was hobbling because I had a cast on my foot. I saw him and I was trying to get behind bushes where he didn't see me. And I was trying to work my way all the way back down to the dorm. We had our own dorm, the basketball dorm. I was trying to get back down to that dorm and play like I really wasn't out. But how many basketball players had a cast on their foot in the middle of town after curfew? So I was trying to make my way back downtown, and, I, and I, I got in front of this big church, and it was not far from the dorm, but I was trying to wait him out because he was circling. He was trying to catch me. He'd already spotted me, and he was circling. So I, I, I got up in front of this church and rode underneath these big pine trees because I, I, I grew up around pine trees. I knew there'd be a bunch of needles there, and I was just going to lay there in the soft pine needles. And I rode underneath those pine trees, and guess who was under there? It wasn't a coach. It was the Holy Spirit. He's waiting on me. I broke. I cried like a baby. I mean, I just knew. I thought, man, it was emblematic, right? I was running from the coach. I was running from God. It was all emblematic. He set me up. The Lord set me up. So I went in the next morning, and I just confessed. I said, I was out past curfew. And the coach smiled, and he said, I, I knew. We all, we all knew. He said, but I can't run you. Because I had to be careful. So I forget what the punishment was. But I, I came home, accepted my call to preach, but I still had that ulcer. And this is when the Lord taught me something. I want to hand this off to you. I was in my bunk. <clears throat> I was getting ready to per, uh, go preach one night. And I still, I'd had this ulcer for months. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Your healing has already been paid for in the spiritual realm. It's already bought and paid for, it's already done. He said, you need it manifested in the natural. I never heard that before. But I understood what the Lord was saying. Jesus had already paid for that. It was already done at Calvary. It was already paid for. The work was already done in the spiritual realm. I just needed a manifestation of that in the natural. 
So I got up from my bunk. I was praying because I was going to go preach. And I, was, I got up from my bunk. I walked across campus to preach on campus. And I got over there and I knew I had to take a stand. I knew I had to take a stand by faith. So I got behind that podium and there was a lot of college students in that room. And I, got, I, I started, we started, when I started preaching on campus, before they threw me out, they kicked me off campus for preaching. That's another story for another time. But we started with four people, and then next week we had eight, and next week we had 16, next week we had 32. People were getting saved. I took a bunch of them out to Cumberland Falls, baptized them out there, got in trouble for that, and all, just all kinds of stuff. But anyway, I got up in front, and I said, listen, the Lord... I Because they'd all been praying for me. I said, y'all can stop praying for me to be well from this uh, ulcer. I said, because the Lord showed me something that that's already been paid for. It's over. And I'm receiving that. When I left, I walked back to my dorm still hurting. But I woke up the next morning. And that's been 37 years ago. And I ain't had an ulcer since. Amen. But he taught me something. He taught me, whatever you need tonight, it's already been paid for. Bought, paid for, signed. What's that old song? Signed, sealed, delivered. What we battle is the manifestation of that coming into our realm. What happened with Daniel? He prayed but 21 days before he got his answer. Why? Because they were battling. So that's where the battle's at. Your debt's been paid for. Your sicknesses have been bought and paid for already through Jesus Christ. Your mind's been renewed, paid for already. He's paid for everything. He's already paid for it all. Now we need it manifested. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We don't have enough gratitude to show you our appreciation for your word. It is a lamp to our feet, a light in our path. Heaven and earth is going to pass away and your word's going to be left standing. Your son was the word made flesh. We, we owe you everything to your word. And so I just love you and I thank you, Lord, and I pray that my faith will grow every day. I pray that all of our faith will grow every day, that we'll be able to please you more and more and that we'll see a manifestation of our faith and our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said.